You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 456 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I like those. Uh, I'm just joined this week by uh, Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good evening. I like these sequential numbers okay. for, for episodes. It only happens every so often. so Like every two years. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, doesn't it, doesn't it get... I would love to see the math on it. Like, anyway, we don't have to talk about it now, but, like, it would get bigger, right? Every 111. Every 456, 567, 678. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good point. Yeah, so it's not recursive, necessarily, but it's... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we just Your lost half the math. Stupid math tricks is sort of my specialty. Stupid math tricks. <laughs> he just showed you. <laughs> stupid math tricks by Seth Miller. We, we all have our... Uh, you should start a whole podcast, just that. The latest podcast, by, produced by Dot Slides and Destinations. <laughs> Brought to you by... I have to get our producer back in. I'm going to need help. Oh, man. Um, follow-up. We have some follow-up on this uh, incident, uh, the flight that was flying from uh, Payne, Everett Field, down to San Francisco and diverted the PDX with a, a person in the jump seat, a pilot in the jump seat, who tried to pull the uh, engine fire suppression system and, and partially succeeded. Had the, yeah, managed to get his hands on them, managed to get them extended. Apparently not, like, fully extended and twisted, I guess. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, so not good uh, in many ways. Uh, sort of, there's a couple interesting things about it. He admitted, sort of in the initial interview with the police officers, that he had done it. Uh, has since pleaded not guilty, not surprisingly. But yeah. um, I'm going to have to work through a few of those things still. But, uh I can't remember exactly how much we talked about last week. At one point, there was discussion of uh, psychedelic mushrooms. It turns out that that had probably happened far enough prior to the flight that they shouldn't have been in his system anymore. Um, Did he claim he had been awake for 40 hours? He claimed he had been awake for 40 hours. Yeah. So not 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 good. Um, and he in the I think in the document in the police report that was written up, it was either the police report or the. Uh, the federal complaint, I forget which there's both of them are sort of floating around out there. Uh, there was a comment to the extent of he just didn't think it was going correctly and thought if he pulled the handles, he'd wake up because he yeah. thought he was asleep, which is definitely the sort of thing I think that could happen if you've been up for 40 hours. Yeah. Hallucination. Yeah. Yeah. Also said that it, uh, his best friend had just died and he had been having some depression type incidents, uh, for a while. And it has, not surprisingly, reopened the debate on exactly how the DOT handles depression vis-a-vis pilot medical certificates, which yep. is a problem these days. Yeah, I mean, if I think if you're, I know for private pilots, and I'm, I'm sure it's even more complicated for, uh, you know, commercial pilots that if you're on any kind of antidepressant or have talked about depression with a doctor, it can really complicate your ability to, to fly. So I think a lot of it stays uh, hidden. So. We'll see. I think, uh, yeah, it was a good summary of the follow-up there, Seth. I think, yeah, yeah we'll just see how, kind of what happens with this. I mean, the federal complaint has been filed. Uh, I think the charges, the local charges may have been dropped. It's hard for me to tell um, because I think they stay in the system. Like, if charges are dropped until they're ex- actually expunged, they stay in the system. So Yeah, I, I saw there was, when I looked at it, mo- I mean, it's been a couple of days since I looked, but they, there were several different sets of charges, and some had shown as sort of dismissed or skipped. 
yeah. but others were still listed. I would think that, you know, the sort of double jeopardy situation, he's not going to get tried for both state and federal yeah. charges yeah. on this name on the same thing, I don't think. So And it doesn't make sense like to charge him at the state level, right? Like he no, was on my, the airplane. Yeah. Yeah. My my theory on that when it happened was they could move quickest and they didn't want him going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You gonna say something, Fuzz? Uh no. Okay. I don't know what I did say if I was. Okay. Um new topics. Portugal's president vetoes uh the privatization of TAP, the air the Portuguese airline. Yeah, that's a weird one. Um, like this has been talked about forever that this is going to happen, kind of thing, right? Like they want it to happen there, yeah. and they've promised that they were going to do this and sort of get the government paid back for its investment over the years. And then apparently, the bill that was passed to start the process of selling whatever portion it was, it wasn't selling one hundred percent. I think so. That was mm-hmm. part of the challenge. And then it was like, well, how much? Do we still control? Do we have a golden share for like veto power of things? This is a strategic uh, value to the Portuguese, to the country of Portugal, not just a business. What are we willing to give up? All of those types of things started to come into play. Um, and he was, and there was apparently they were allowed to buy and sell different divisions and like subsidiaries before the full thing happened. And the president basically argued that this was uh, not in line with the transparency that had been promised. And so he sent the bill back for them to clear those things up so it could actually happen for real. Which is, well, so. Well, I was going to I was reading this. It says that the article about it says it's 51 percent was what they were looking to sell. Um, Okay, it was a 51 percent share, um, which I, I find that hard to understand like you're selling you are selling the majority but it also seems like you probably have some backup plan there right to still control the airline or maybe not but well, I mean, with 49 percent, what control do you have yeah i was thinking maybe they had like a golden share or something that gave right more, so, more but power. i think that, that was unclear mm-hmm. if they really did or not and if they did would you buy 51 percent, knowing the government could tell you to like you don't actually have control whole point of buying 51% is to have control. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, so this this puts into question, I mean, it sounded like maybe Lufthansa was the best fit or was most interested, but there was also some thoughts that IAG may want to go after it, but would be kind of maybe told no because of their control over the Iberian Peninsula already with Iberia in Spain. And Welling and potentially Air Europa. I mean, we, we talked, I think we talked about this at one point, yeah. all the different mm-hmm. options sort of make different levels of sense. Uh, and then you've got Air France KLM with its SAS situation going on, which I read an interesting takedown on that, basically saying, someone basically saying that was also incredibly stupid because, again, it wasn't a full sellout. It was just getting some money from essentially a competitor and like, how are you going to integrate? How are you going to co- make sure that you don't get, you know, become second tier, third tier within their operation, things like that. And I, on that one, I disagree a little bit because mm-hmm. there's the potential for getting integrated into some of the purchasing and cost savings yeah. functionality that comes with the volume that I'm like, let's be very honest, Air France, KLM, they run as two separate airlines. Like there's, there's things you'd think that they would do better in terms of organizing and coordinating fleet and product and whatever. And they don't, but 
Um, certainly, I think there's still some efficiency in terms of like purchasing fuel and other stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in a topic or in a subject line that feels a little bit like TED, uh, Lufthansa is starting another airline. Yeah. <laughs> How does this make sense? Well, when your goal is to cut costs, but you can't because your union contracts are fixed, you just launch another airline and you say, okay, we're transferring the service over to that airline. Good luck. And then you hope that no one in the union, you hope that your union doesn't realize what's going on and actually fight back and force you to actually pay them as much as well. Right. This is Air France sort of tried it with June and it failed. Um, so the, the, the sorry, just a backstory. Uh, it's called City Airlines. So it's going to be Lufthansa City. They're going to operate A319s out of Frankfurt and Munich. Um, Lufthansa was successful at doing it with Eurowings. Yeah. Um, so but, it's not entirely yeah. unprecedented. But, but the difference with Eurowings was it was predominantly based out of airports where Lufty wasn't predominant. Yeah, Cologne, Dusseldorf. Yeah, it it, it they was not hubs. They certainly didn't have connecting flow. Yeah, right, but the bulk, mean, of their, bulk of their flights were also in the, those secondary cities, so it didn't overlap with Lefty as much. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they were they were flying out of, like, Cologne to different places on sure. Berlin and stuff. So. Berlin and all the other – and smaller towns. I get it, but, like, it was still Lufthansa. I mean, they, they sold it as a different product, so maybe that helped the argument a little bit. This is going to be the default Lufthansa product. How how are they getting around the contract stipulations? Just because it's a different carrier, or it, what? I mean, in sh- sort of yes. That's fascinating. Like they don't, so they do they not have the same terms in their contract like here in the United States where it's just regional versus mainline carrier? I, I guess if like scope sort of thing. Yeah, like here's my question: If if United tomorrow started up TED again. So it dep- I would say it depends if United starts it or if United Continental Holding starts it. Uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It, and it pro- it, I would imagine that, you know, my understanding of the way the scope clause works is that it's basically flights operated for the United brand. Mm-hmm. And so that may be how Eurowings also got away with it. Like, that's not under the Lufthansa brand, that's Eurowings. And so is the Lufthansa City brand really operating for Lufthansa? The answer on the surface is obviously yes. I'm not sure what the... Uh, but I'm not sure how it plays at the contract level. And it's a different AOC. Um, you know, it's... They did paint the planes differently. So I'm not, it's, it's not quite exactly the same as Ted, but yeah, it's uh, it's not good. So yeah. anyway, they, they did... Lufthansa Group says that they're in conversation with the appropriate partners to figure out... Labor groups to figure out what, you know, is really going to happen. But in the meantime, it will launch, I think, summer 2024 is the plan. Um, I also will be very interested to see how it integrates into Star Alliance and reward programs with partners. It should, in theory, be transparent, but (laughs) this is Air World. (laughs) Who the hell knows? (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it plays in with, like, uh, code shares or partnerships. Do they offer these as flights? I'm sure they do, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, right. And so, like, part of that is for the DOT, like, for United to sell it, 
will have to be added as an additional airline to the joint venture, to the code share, to all of those things. And again, it should be a rubber stamp, but it's got to get done. And it's an opportunity for other airlines and other people to try to protest if they want. I don't know how well wow. that'll work. Yeah, yeah. We've seen JetBlue's protests at Amsterdam go pretty poorly so far. <laughs> <laughs> and they're now vying, they're now protesting, saying KLM should lose all their JFK slots. Did, did I hear that properly? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of went down this path before when they weren't getting their slots, so it's not unprecedented. But um, then we didn't really have this on the nose. But KLM, or the Dutch government, uh, it's a caretaker government, which is super interesting. They've got uh, new elections on November 22nd. But in the meantime, had uh, the government had sort of made plans to reduce the number of slots at Schiphol significantly. Uh, it was three or five percent, and so that was going to affect existing airlines, and also potentially mean that, like JetBlue, which does not have historical rights to summer slots, would not get to operate next summer. And then the government sort of fell apart, and possibly in part because of this policy, and the caretaker government sort of pushing it through anyways, pending the next election. So. What's really interesting to me is read if you read like the briefs that are filed with the DOT, it's all about, you know, a dispute with the Kingdom of the Netherlands and that stuff. But KLM is sort of filed a brief that's like, hey, guys, not our fault. We're pretty pissed, too. Please don't take this out on us. And they are anyways, right? Like JetBlue is like, yeah, whatever. Like if if your government says that Schiphol is closed and no airlines are allowed, to, new airlines can't get into that, you shouldn't be allowed to keep flying here because we it's a reciprocity thing. You got your slots based on the, the theoretical reciprocity of having access to your airport, and since JFK is the only real slot-controlled airport they fly to, yep. JetBlue's going back after it. But I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, simply because they already had their slots, just like at Heathrow, you go buy slots. You don't get slots automatically. Yeah, that I mean, yes, sure. I mean, they, they got their slots when and how. I, I think this is JetBlue not wanting to pay market price for slots. I'm not. That, that is certainly part of it, right? They did the same thing at Heathrow and managed to squeak out a few and got Gatwick no problem. Um, there, there's no doubt that that's part of it. But uh, in some ways, some airports historically have occasionally, like Heathrow, every year occasionally has some slots for new entrants. It's not a lot, but they sort of somehow managed to make it work. And Schiphol, with pulling slots out of the market, basically said, we're no longer going to have slots for new entrants. And I think that's what JetBlue is protesting. But even if they still had slots for new entrants, there's no guarantee they would get them. Correct. But by saying, we're not going to do this anymore, it's not possible. Um, that's where they sort of, that's where JetBlue is arguing they've crossed the line from, it's not just. A financial thing it's actually a regulatory thing and okay so but Skipple could just as simply say we're going to keep six slot pairs and not award a single one to JetBlue and they're going to do the exact same thing they would certainly still protest I'm not sure it would come out the same way it'd be the same general it'd be the same take slots away from someone else they've already oh, they've shown this already right this is not the first time they're doing this no and they worked last time so why wouldn't they keep going <laughs> so we've got the annoying little child and we just give it what it wants to go make it go away. Yep. 
Speaking of that, <laughs> uh, JetBlue is actually adding Dublin and Edinburgh. Um, to their Summer route. seasonal. Summer seasonal. Uh, Boston and JFK? Boston gets Dublin. JFK gets both. Yep. Um, interesting. They're going to run on the A321neo, not the LR, which is 16 seats up front instead of 24. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't really matter, but the uh, catering in the back is uh, cold. They don't have ovens. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But this time around, they say they've finally come up. They've actually had you know, time to plan for this rather than last time they started having when they like suddenly had to just put Neos into Europe because they didn't have LRs because Airbus was delivering them late. And we're like, ah, uh, shit, someone run to Panera and buy a couple wraps or something. This time around, they're going to have food designed by Dig, which is their catering partner, to be served good as a cold meal on board. Hmm. I guess that's a good. I guess that's good news. I mean, if you're stuck with a cold meal, it may as well be a decent cold meal. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should still buy something in the airport, probably, and get ripped off by SIBO you know, or whoever. I would. Yeah, eat on the ground at JFK and buy snacks in Europe. Yep. Although um, now that you mention that shit, Dublin has terrible options after you have to buy food after u.s immigration they take your food away there oh really it's technically customs clearance as well well um, i mean they shouldn't take prepared food but fruits and vegetables absolutely they took away burger king and i assure you there's nothing fresh in they that. took away burger king <laughs> what yeah. is wrong <laughs> sir we're sorry this beef has been too cooked um <laughs> just saying something for Ireland, but you know, yeah, no, they uh, they they had they it's bad. Um, which pissed me off. I bought breakfast and then like they took away my breakfast space, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna just stand here and eat it. Thank you. <laughs> so you have to surrender your yeah, no, they, they, and maybe it's changed, but I definitely have had food taken away from me at that checkpoint. So the in the, the concessions after pre clearance there aren't great. Mostly, so Edinburgh should maybe be a little better because at least you're. You don't want to clear pre-clearance, but I don't know. And on top of this, they're closing their Burlington operation. Yeah, September 20, September 2000. It's one of the OG airports. Um, that one they're saying they're sort of blaming on having the flexibility from the DOT to drop 10% of their flights at JFK or in New York in general. And so they've announced that that's one of the routes they're cutting as part of that, which... I mean, sure, fine, but they can't be cutting it, you know. They had the choice of which routes to cut, and they picked this one. So there's obviously it's this route is the problem, not the 10% rule. They aren't being forced to cut 10%. They're being offered to. So that's a bummer uh, for Burlington. That's an, Like I said, that's an old, old route that's been around forever. But they also, Burlington still has Delta, American, and United to hubs. Multiple hubs, usually. So yep. even Delta is actually trimming some of its LaGuardia, I think, flights. Uh, and on top of this, they're, they're ending JFK, Reagan, or National, uh, Newark to Miami, and Boston to Rochester. Yeah, there's a couple. That's others. all. That's all part of that Northeast stuff, right? That yet. Yeah, so, I mean, technically, all those routes qualify under the NEA. There's a couple of LaGuardia ones that are getting cut. I think LaGuardia Nashville. Uh, I think they dropped mm-hmm. the Denver uh, one Denver frequency. There's a couple other things that are being cut that are more NEA related. That are, you know, basically Americans taking back their slots and moving some 175s in. And so this has to go 
I think we talked about last week, the Americans offer adding a bunch of stuff up into New England and so uh, to sort of replace some of the JetBlue stuff that was being operated. And so now JetBlue's got to back out. They just don't have the slots. They weren't theirs. They were borrowed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, kind of in a different turn of news. Before oh. we before we jump off that, I have a question about these new routes that JetBlue's launching, right? Wait, I was poking around. I don't see their pricing being super aggressive compared to the legacies. What's the real play here? Like the like they're not they're not cheap is what you're saying. Yeah, like they're not. There's no incentive to pick JetBlue over anyone else, and the others can just dump seats into the markets. I don't. At this point, though, I think part of the argument is you don't have to discount to pick up uh, traffic going between North America and Europe for the summer. You can raise your prices and still sell the seats. So no one's going to dump inventory, and everybody's still going to make crazy bank. I don't know if that's true for next year. Right, we're seeing the bookings curves are dropping pretty quickly. Certainly, we will find out, but I think that's part of the theory. Okay. Because uh, anytime historically we've seen a small scrappy carrier come in, the way they lure business is by price. Yep. And don't forget, JetBlue, unlike in their Americas markets, does not price transatlantic as one ways. So you've got to buy a round trip to get the good fare. Wait, they don't? Nope. It sucks. I mean, it's not the ter- it's not the worst price. I'm like, I just like randomly looking like sub three thousand dollars for mint to Edinburgh. Yeah, but you, you can you can find sub three thousand anywhere to Europe right now for next True. summer on any of the carriers, basically. True. I love how you guys think business class is the price point to search. Oh come on! It is. I mean, listen, it's a big money maker. I get it. But. Well, okay, I'll, I'll look and see. What coaches? Yeah, the coach shares are comparable too. It's like five or six hundred bucks, I think, when I looked. Yeah, it's like six fifty, I think. So there's like some that are go up to seven fifty. Yeah, but it's not three hundred round trip. It's not four hundred round trip. Yeah. So from five fifty two. So if I want blue basic, oh, I can't even find anything sub a thousand dollars right now. If I'm looking at May and June. Yeah. So I mean, a thousand bucks, thirteen hundred bucks. Anyway, um, moving on. Let's talk about Tulum. Uh, they, they got a new airport. It was a dirt strip in the middle of nowhere. I'm sure they paved it. Come on. And they now, well, no, I'm saying it was, and now, okay. and now it's an actual airport. Um, and it's going to be served by Delta. I guess Delta announced it first that they were going to add uh service and now spirit has jumped in. So I'm expecting United and, um, American to quickly start flights from Houston and Dallas respectively. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if United also brought in Newark or Dallas. Yeah, that's a good point. The East Coast, it's that stuff's pretty close to the East Coast, too. Yep. Um, uh, Tulum's up on the Yucatan Peninsula, right? Yeah, it's south of Cozumel. Like, it's on the, I guess, southwest of Cancun. So, down the coast from it. Yeah, so, I mean, so, yeah, Spirit's got Fort Lauderdale and Orlando. Delta's got Atlanta, um, if I remember correctly. And then it's... Others will have others will show up as well. I'm sure if you're looking at the sort of infinite supply, infinite demand curves of different markets, Mexico has certainly looked very good for U.S. carriers the past few years, and part of that is you know the beach market, and this is opens up more of that beach market in a way that has some potential. Yeah, I mean it's it feels like uh, the city that. Instagram influencers built or something like Tulum's kind of like a coin. Uh, 
it was like a quiet peach town. Yeah. The town's going to be overrun with <laughs> just God, most God, obnoxious God. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the airport's, it's interesting because the airport was, I mean, it's, it's to the east, northeast of the, of the city and really close to the water. So, I mean, there's, I haven't found any good pictures of what it looks like. I'm going to see if I can find some now. Um, but like the Google images of it is the dirt strip. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, Interesting what? stuff. Um, what else we got? Swoop is dead. Swoop is dead. Swoop was the, uh, that's the Canadian carrier, correct? Yep, it's the ultra-low-cost carrier arm of WestJet. And in sort of the absurd spin of, hey, it's finally gone. It's disappeared as part of the uh, contract negotiations with their pilots, uh, essentially killed it. Mm. Uh, the Swoop pilots managed to negotiate, going back to sort of our earlier conversation about Lufthansa Group, like you're not going to have a second pay scale for our pilots. We all get the same rate. We all work for the same big happy family. And they've now, they, I'm going to paraphrase this quote that they put in their press release, but instead of serving the ultra low cost carrier market on only 16 aircraft, the airline's 180 strong fleet will transition to offer ultra affordable travel options through to a premium in-flight experience on each of its aircraft. Don't they con- don't, don't, does that statement not contradict itself? Well, you know, they, you have a choice. You can buy either the ultra-affordable or the high-quality experience. And you'll have <laughs> on the You can't have both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah. No, it, it's silly. There's no doubt. Okay, I, I want to take a step back. I want to move back to the Tulum Airport. So I was, I, I've now done a little more research. The airport is a new airport. is southwest of town. It's like a new, fresh, new build of an Not airport. Not a dirt strip. Not a dirt strip. Okay. I want to understand how the president of Mexico greenlit this. Well, I mean, if his fake Mexicana is going to be the primary carrier there, maybe that has something to do with it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And they're also building a giant rail operation in, uh, like that uh, in that area. Um, yeah, well, they're doing it through the whole peninsula, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the part of that airport build out was because of that, because um, it's going to go all the way down from like the, the Tabasco State all the way out to Cancun. Um, so I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little yeah. You could argue if you put good rail transport into the terminal that this takes over from Cancun Airport. Yeah, that's true. I mean, because you could serve Cancun. You could serve frequent enough and fast enough. Yep. And it's going to take people into the Mayan region. So yeah. It, yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm still kind of like scratching my head. Like they could have had a nice new airport in Mexico City. But I mean, I guess Instagrammers do have a lot of money or something. And <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. All right. I'm moving on now. I'm done. Qantas confirms Paris service from Perth starting in the summer. July 12th. Yeah, three times a week uh, for the Olympics and then going up to 4X after that because, you know, naturally demand will increase after the massive the giant event. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also imagine it has something to do with, you know, planes available, etc. But yeah, they'll now serve London, Perth, or excuse me, London, Rome, and Paris all from Perth as of next summer. Oh, I didn't realize there was a Rome route. Yeah, Rome, I mean, second one. Had we announced that? Had we, had we said anything on the show about that? I, I don't know if we announced it, and they certainly did. Yeah, it's exi- that one's existed, but that's seasonal. Oh, okay. 
News does happen without us talking about it, Stephen. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> don't, don't, don't rain on my parade. Um, that's. I mean, it's long. 8,800 yeah. miles. That's, well, okay. I mean, I knew London was long, but 8,800 is not much different. So yeah. it's like, yeah, 9,200 miles difference. So. And they're going to do that with a 7879-9, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, and they're still being sued by the government. Yeah, they're still fighting their, like, oh, you stopped, you kept selling tickets even though on flights even though you knew you weren't going to operate them. And they basically admitted as much, um, but said it's okay because there were they had to cancel so many flights that their systems couldn't handle it. And they waited until they got, they waited to tell people that their flights were canceled until they got them rebooked because they didn't want, and this is actually somewhat reasonable. They didn't want to say your flight is canceled and then you've been rebooked. They just wanted to tell them you've been rebooked. Oh, uh, I guess. Now, I mean, it kind also, of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. Presumably, people who were told your flight was canceled, probably they would have had to pay money back more, and then yeah. some of them would not have accepted the alternate flights, or fewer of them might have accepted the alternate flights, although they all had this opportunity, apparently, for a refund, even if they didn't like the alternate flight that was presented. Um, but th- th- there's some sketchy claims like, oh, well, we didn't charge anybody extra to get on their different flight. Skipping over the fact that some people may have paid extra for a specific flight time compared to the one that was kept in service, hmm. or things like that. So it's not it's not a perfect situation by any stretch. But um, their argument of like, well, flight times aren't guaranteed, and you even tell so they come to the government like, and you even tell people that it's just sort of a best effort thing. So you can't be really mad at us for this. Hmm. It's pretty funny. <laughs> oh man. So, summer changes to the schedules have kind of come out and been published, and uh, there's a few. Some that I find really interesting. So, United is going to start flying to uh, Faro, Faro, Portugal, from Newark on a 75. Yeah. That's kind of cool. That'll be the, their third gateway to Portugal. I, I, you know, when I was, I spent some time in Portugal because of work, and everyone that I know that's Portuguese, that works at our Portuguese office, they all vacation in Faro. Or so near higher United Kingdom, as I understand. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, or nearby, somewhere nearby. So yeah, it's, uh, is it Costa Brava? That- yeah, yeah, that area. Yep. Yeah. So I went down there once. I was supposed to spend a weekend there, and then got offered a boondoggle flight on the CS100. So there's there's your dating this event, and had to immediately leave the next day after I arrived. <laughs> so I spent one night there. Like, got to my hotel. Woke up the next morning, had breakfast, flew back to London to go to the pair, to go to Farnborough Air Show to go fly around with Bombardier. But uh, it looked nice. Yeah, the, the beaches look hot. I mean, <laughs> it looks it looks fine. It's a tiny. I mean, it's not a big airport. Um, I'll be interested to see. Like the runway's not super long. I'll be interested to see if it's weight restricted at all in hot. You know, during the heat, hot, you know, heat of the summer. So. Yeah, that's actually, it's interesting you bring that up. When we were, when I was in uh, Lisbon at the World Aviation Festival a few weeks ago, uh, that came up. Really? Of how hot Portugal was, like, temperature-wise for this past summer. Yep. And the best thing that the uh, TAP CEO could say was, well, other places were hotter. <laughs> we're not number one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it operates. Um I'm guessing it's because it's not that long of a flight and the performance on the 752 is really good. It's probably not a big deal, but you never, you never know. 
Because yeah. they wouldn't also, they generally in the summer, they don't have to go all the way north to come back either. Yeah. Yeah. I would think during the winter, it'd probably be more of a problem. So we'll see. Um, and then on top of that, they're not bringing back Dulles to Berlin, which I find fascinating. Oh, North Atlantic tried to launch Berlin and like had it on sale for about four days. And it was like, good God, no one bought this and walked away. And Miami and a couple and for the winter, admittedly, but they were trying to get some folks out of Berlin and that didn't work. So you're saying you're saying my chances of an upgrade down this route are dead because the route's dead. Dang it. You should have bought it before they dropped it. Yeah, yeah, I should have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and then Virgin uh, Atlantic is dropping Austin to London. Um, That's going away in like January, which is interesting. I'm I'm not super surprised by this one. I think I think BA does a lot better on the route because they can they have connecting traffic, so it's easier for them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that's a struggle for Virgin, unless yeah. you're going to like Africa or you know the Middle East, maybe India. In India, that's a good point. Yeah, they have a few. You know, they have a handful of markets as opposed to BA's many, many. Yeah. Um, you can. These days, you can at least sort of connect onward with Virgin Atlantic, uh, with Air France and KLM on that side too. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's certainly like, you know, tr- double or triple connect is not a exciting way to travel for most people. Yeah. I mean, do you think, do you think it's just like the O and D part of it or do they, do you think it's like the traffic that they, like the customer base just isn't there and they weren't able to attract enough? Cause to me, it speaks a little bit to Delta too, right? Because Delta's probably helping market some of that a little bit or at least. Well, I mean, yeah. It's all part of the joint venture. Yeah. If, but I, I, I think, think there's no doubt. I was going to say, I think it's a little broader, right? Austin, I don't think it's necessarily an anomaly. If you look at their latest route schedule, they've cut a lot, not just to the U.S., but mm-hmm. in other parts of the world as well. Virgin, you're saying? Virgin. Yeah. Right, like they've dropped to Austin altogether. Yes, absolutely, right? But I also didn't realize it was only three times a week or four times a week. Mm-hmm. Right, but they're dropping They're dropping one of the Boston frequencies. Vegas, um, not the biggest, uh what was it? There was a couple others that I saw. Seattle goes from seven to five. Uh, well, and those are routes where they kind of took over the the route from Delta. Uh, Delta. Yeah. Yeah. And Dulles goes from seven to five as well. Hmm. And Dulles is going to go down below daily? Yes. From, wow. Ju- from January 15th to March 3rd. Uh, I could see that for off season. Yeah, I mean, but but still, to go less than daily on Heathrow anywhere, it, yeah, pretty, pretty. I mean, particularly when no one else is altering. Right? BA's got two flights a day, I think, and UA's got three flights a day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is also sort of the challenge of now they're in the how to play with the uh, joint venture as opposed to just running their own operation. Yeah. Do you think Delta comes back in? I mean, I don't think Delta has the planes to do it. Right now, at least. Comes back into Austin? Yeah. No. I doubt it. Not a chance. If they were... They they... way to use their slots, right? That's So you look at these things like... And maybe some of that becomes short haul and they trade them to... Or lease them to Air France and KLM or third parties that are actually paying market price. But I, I don't think, like... If the slots aren't going to go idle, but... You know, the when Virgin's giving up at Gatwick, scaling back at Manchester really changed its operation. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
Interesting. Um, and then Breeze has added Gulfport, uh, Mississippi. Yeehaw. Um, where are they flying from Gulfport? Uh, Tampa and Las Vegas. I'm pretty sure this is one of their breeze through routings where the plane will just go Tampa, Gulfport, Las Vegas, and back. Mm-hmm. So, um, you get your one stop direct service. Um, and they can pick up passengers at both ends as well. And also Raleigh to Akron, I think is coming back or is being added. Raleigh to Akron, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I don't, I don't understand like how many people are flying that. Like, I mean, it's, Hey, well, it's, it's hopefully 60 or 80 a day. <laughs> well, like, I, I think Akron of all the Ohio cities is the most random. Like I, I could understand maybe Raleigh to, I don't know, Cleveland. That kind of makes sense. Akron's the low cost carrier Cleveland reliever. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I've never heard it said like that, but it's funny. Amazing. That's where Airtran was. That's where everybody who's flown, all the LCCs that want to serve Cleveland just serve Akron instead. They serve Cleveland South, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess everybody's ma- willing to make the drive that wants a cheap flight. Yep. Or, I mean, there's also a fair number of people that live on that part of town, too. That's yeah, true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, And then Palau, is it? How do you say it, Seth? Palau? Ali Palau Airlines? Yeah. Is starting uh, Rarotonga to Singapore? No. Yeah, I may I did that. I read that wrong. It's uh, R. I thought ROR is. Where's that? No, it's Palau. It's Palau. Yeah, you're right. So they managed to get Palau Singapore on the schedule, and this is interesting in many ways. One, it will be the longest flight from Palau of the market served. There's this <laughs> connection service that gets all the way to Brisbane, but it's got to stop somewhere along the way. Um, mm-hmm. but also, it's going to be operated by Druck Air, which is the, the national the airline of Bhutan. Bhutan, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, wow. And so Druk Air is known, they fly their own service to and from Singapore mm-hmm. for Bhutan and Singaporean connections, but then has had a habit of when they get, once they get their plane down to Singapore, they're like, well, it's already here. Does anyone need a plane for like a wet lace operation? <laughs> and they use their crew to run basically increased utilization. They run like a turn somewhere and then bring the plane back and then operate back into Bhutan. Is it Taparo from Singapore? Is that where they go? Yeah. Okay. That that's funny. So like uh, hey, yeah. we have a plane and pilots and crew, you guys need a anyone need an airplane? Basically oh. and they they make enough money doing that. How often does someone need a plane on the wet lease on such short notice? It's not a short notice thing. This is scheduled service months in advance. Oh, okay. I, mean, just like they, it's just like they put it on the market there, Foz. There's like, yeah. who, needs, who needs to fly out of Singapore? Hey, Ali Palau Airlines, you want a flight into Palau? We got your back. This sounds like casual encounters on Craigslist. <laughs> uh, which also reminds me of something I didn't put on the topics here. Uh, Norwegian announced today a contract for this winter with TUI, speaking of sort of wet leases. They're going to operate like 90% of TUI's charter flights from Sweden, Norway, and Copenhagen. Really? And it basically comes down to they got to do something with their planes. They don't have enough traffic, and TUI sells. I guess they figure it's easier and better money to have TUI sell it than to sell it themselves. Interesting. They get guaranteed, you know, fixed fixed income versus variable, fixed cost versus variable. 
Okay. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So does this mean we have to go back to uh, Palau on the island hopper so we can get this flight? Technically, it's past the hopper, but... Palau's not on there? It's west of Guam. Oh, gotcha. I went on my honeymoon. It's it's actually some good diving. Um, Cute little island, but... I, for some reason, I thought it was on. Maybe it was. Maybe United operates a separate flight. They do. United goes there, but it's yeah. West Guam. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and so maybe United. I don't know if they still do, but had Palau to Manila for a long time. Yeah. Interesting. But that's how we got away. That's how we got in from Guam and left via Manila on our honeymoon. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Anything else you guys want to talk about? We got a bunch of stuff in the bonus show. Uh, Fly Bondi, some Lufthansa cabin issues, uh, Southwest Spirit, Frontier Earnings, Air Greenland, uh, and an accidental inaugural for our Patreon subscribers. Anything else you guys want to talk about before then? Nope. Nope. Awesome. Well, thank you to our listeners for supporting the show and tuning in and listening, and uh, we will talk to you in the next one. If you'd like to hear the bonus topics, you can become a Patreon subscriber, and uh, yeah, we'd love that. Uh, But if not, happy travels. Take care. Catch you next time.